This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All our Torah Anytime viewers. Okay, so tonight, before we begin, we are um, learning for Ben to Chai Bat and Moshe Shlomo Ben the Fuat Nefesh Chole Israel. I have to make an announcement before we begin regarding the um, the location. So BJX has been very, very gracious to be giving us this location. We've been here, um, as we were discussing before, for over a year. Uh, and, um, you know, so if anybody's able to help, you know, defray the cost, if anybody's able to help donate a little bit towards the, um, towards the building, towards the, you know, towards us being able to stay here, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Whoever does, please email me. I will find out the way to... Um, to uh, to donate, and I will uh, send it to whoever wants to e- earn eternal reward for eternity, a tremendous amount of of schutim uh, that you can get. Okay, location. Thank you. You know, I don't think you've been here for a while. I don't think we mentioned location, right? <laughs> it's like okay. All right. So um, okay. So everyone, every every woman is invited to join us at sixteen oh one. Is that the location? I can remember so much for some reason addresses. Doesn't work by me. Okay, 1601 Quentin Road at 8 p.m. every, uh, almost every Thursday, uh, usually every Thursday at the BJX again location. So again, thank you for the BJX location. Thank you for the, uh, donations of the, of Abedjuro for, uh, for always sponsoring our food, which is delicious and nutritious from Parisia Kosher. I didn't even know that. <laughs> Please go. Today's class is brought to you by Parisia Kosher. For delicious pizza. Okay. So now, um, now we're ready to begin, right? Yes. Okay. Finish the announcements. Okay, so let's begin. So we are, uh, ooh, what class number is this? Five. On five. We're on class number five, thank you, of the uh, 13 Principles of Faith. So remember what day it is and what I'm speaking about. Um, we're on the 13 Principles of Faith. Let's do a quick recap on the first, we're today going on, I believe, number seven. So let's do a quick recap on the first six of the 13 Principles of Faith. So number one. So number one, we mentioned, Technically, that's what we mentioned. So, um, but anyways, the first principle, let's go very quickly. By the way, I don't know if you realize that with this particular series and classes that we're doing, even though it's a shorter series, I am always recapping the things that we mentioned beforehand because of the importance that it is. Like, you, I cannot emphasize enough how important these, these fundamentals are. Like, uh, you know, you know, we'll speak, we spoke last, Last week we spoke about prophecy. People are like, okay, whatever. Like, people don't realize how fundamental it is to Judaism to understand these things. Um, again, I don't know if people also realize the way that I've been working, um, we've been doing it in a very, very gradual, very, very systematic fashion. We first started, we did 32 classes on proving God, improving the Torah, improving the other religions. We've went very, very systematically on proving that other religions are not the correct one. Judaism is the correct one. How do you know that there is a God? How do you know that Judaism is the right, is the right religion? What do you do about the oral law, about the rabbis? Rabbis, we went and how do you deal with Bible criticism? We went very, very systematically. Once we finished that, once we finished the idea that we know that there is a God, we know that Judaism is right, this is the next step. This is the foundation. So by repeating this, I, I hope to emphasize that it is very, very important to know these things, to understand these things, to memorize these things. So number one, we mentioned that the um, that uh, uh, regarding God, God is a boy. God is the one. This is the first principle of the 13 principles of faith, that God is the creator of all things. Yesh me'ayin. God is the one who creates everything from nothing. More, Even furthermore, we said that God is a, a manig. Manig means that God oversees everything. God not only creates it, but God is also overseeing the creation. Every single thing that happens in your life is overseen by God. Good, bad, and the ugly is all done by, is all overseen and done by God. That is number one. Number two is we said that God is one. 
when we mention that God is one, meaning that God is part of the good and God is part of the bad. Meaning that when you get something good happening to you, that's because of God. When you get something bad happening to you, that's because of God. Everything is from God, not because of the Christian, you know, concept that you have a good and a bad, uh, and you know, the, you have the devil and the, you know, this, the, the really big problem that I, you know, that I have with the, the, the Western culture, they, because Christianity took from Judaism practically everything normal, and then they inserted everything other than normal into that, they, they, there's a lot of misconception regarding Judaism because they're, they, what they understand about Judaism is based off Christianity, and it's very, very wrong. One of, the, one of these concepts is the idea is that everything stems from God. Everything stems from God. The good and the bad all stems from God. Even when you're dealing with angels, and angels are doing and messengers and things like that, that's all from God. Angels are a non-free will entity that is just a complete and direct messenger from God. Then we mention also that number three, that God is incorporeal. God does not have a body. God does not have not a spiritual body, not a physical body. God is not spiritual. God is not physical. God is something above and beyond the whole idea of spirituality and physicality. The idea with, with with spirituality also, this is more like one step, like this is like the extra credit, that God, you know, created spirituality. God created physical. God created spiritual. That is, uh, that is number, uh, number three. Number four is that God is the first and God is the last. Which, by the way, is very hard for us to comprehend. We could only understand things that are based off time and matter. Uh, you know, so if you're telling you something that exists before time, how do you even begin to picture that? The same idea that we can't begin to picture nothingness, we can't even begin to picture the idea of what happened before time. It's very, very difficult for us to understand this concept. The, the idea why the 13 principles of faith is working this way is, number one, we have to realize that we don't understand God because of our limitations, our human limitations. The next step is that not only do we don't understand God because of our human lim- limitations, we also don't understand God because of, our, of, of all limitations of creation. Everything physical, we can't even begin to comprehend it. That was number four. Number five is we said that is there, you're not allowed to, you're not able to pray, you're not allowed to, you're not able to, both of them pray to anybody else other than God. Only God you're able to pray to. The idea behind this we mentioned is that the, in order to have the highest level of prayer, you have to do something called self-nullification, meaning that you know that you are nothing, that everything that comes directly from God, and that everything that happens, good and bad, is directly from God. So you see how, I don't know if you guys realize how things are really related to each other. So when you realize that you are nothingness, and this is the whole idea of bowing down, you're putting yourself down, kolbanot, you're having the sacrifices, also the idea of you're, you're the sacrifice, you're self-nullifying yourself. When you're, and by the way, that's going to come into, into uh, you know, effect today in today's class, when you're, when you're, the more that you have the self-nullification, the more that you realize that everything comes from God, that means that you're increasing your kavanah in, in your prayer and tefillah, and that means you have a more of a chance of having a stronger prayer, more likelihood of getting answered as well. The, and the, 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 the difference between that and idolatry is that self-nullification and uh, um, is is the correct way to pray. Idolatry is all about me. It's all about the you know whatever I want. So that those are the difference. And then the sixth principle we said is that everything that the prophet said is true. Everything that the Jewish prophet said is that it, it is true. Um, technically, they're both in the same <laughs> sentences. Everything that the prophet said is true, and everything that the Jewish prophet said is true are 
equal. I don't know if you guys understood what I just mentioned. If you did, good. If you didn't, then uh, I don't want to uh, cause any more heat that I already have on me. So uh, let's leave it at that. The idea with prophecy is why is prophecy so important? Prophecy was entered into the 13 principles of faith, meaning that if you're converting to Judaism, you have to know these 13 principles. Why do it's so important to the idea of prophecy of Nebuah? The reason is because the only way that we know what God wants, the only way that we know the Torah is through prophecy. Like we're going and we're saying this is what God wants us to do. We have 613 commandments, you have this what you need to do, this what you're not, supposed to be, you're not supposed to do, how do we know? The answer is prophecy. So prophecy is what the Torah stands upon. Now prophecy, what we mentioned uh, last week, that it doesn't happen just to anybody. It happens to, I believe my, my exact words were, to people that are very, 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 very holy. Um, and the reason why I'm saying so many varies is that you don't think, the Rambam says only fools think that, that, you know, that God will just pick some random person to prophesize. Like, you know, like the, the, the emails and the messages that I get of the people that are Mashiach, the people that have a direct you know, connection to God, um, you know, these, these tremendous amount of holy, who don't know anything about God. Don't know anything about God, but they are speaking to him on a one-on-one uh, level, and I'm like, listen, my, you know, my name doesn't end with a, uh, you know, you know, psychology. What does psychology end with? Uh, you know, it's not a, a P C Q W A B C D E F G. So that, uh, um, whatever it is, the letters that comes out after a psychologist, that's not my name. I'm like, I don't know why you're talking to me. You're supposed to be speaking to somebody who's wearing a white lab coat. Um, but uh, you know the the. Um, the, the difference, you know, the difference is that it's, it's a very, very, it goes on to very holy people. Not just to anybody that, that thinks that it's going to happen. Furthermore, it's a very, very traumatic experience. The prophet lose complete control. They're falling on the floor. They don't have any, and, and even furthermore, the, the prophecy that they get is sort of in a metaphor, in an allegory. They don't get the full, they get the full prophecy, but it comes in sort of a metaphor. Okay, so that is a very, very short recap. Okay, so now, let, you know, the recaps are slowly getting bigger and bigger and bigger because, you know, six, by the time we're going to get to the 12, the, the goal is that by the time we get to 13, you should have everything memorized because this guy's repeating it forever, you know, like, I don't know what's going on over here. So anyways, okay, so let's begin with the seventh principle, uh, which is what the, the, we're speaking about tonight, and that is, Anima Amin Be'emunash Lema. I believe with perfect faith, with perfect knowledge, Shinivuat Moshe Rabbeinu Alav Shalom. We're speaking about Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, that his prophecy Hayta Hamitit. It was true prophecy. He was a father of all the prophets. Those that came even before him, and those that come after him. He is the greatest of all the prophets. Now we have. The what? So yeah, that's very good. So that's what I'm, that's what I, I, I think this is what you're asking. We said before prophecy. Now we're saying Moshe's prophecy. We said prophecy is legit, but like Moshe's prophecy, you know, that is a whole nother level. So this is the question that we have to try to figure out today is we already discussed prophecy. We already said that prophecy is very important to Judaism. This is the way that we have the Torah. This is the way that we understand the Torah. Why do we need to add that extra criteria of Moshe Rabbeinu. What is this gaining for us more than what we already had before? You understand the question? The very, was that your question? Good question then. Okay. He was speaking, uh, was speaking directly. Yeah, so what's the difference? It's not a prophecy. It's not what you dream about. It's like real. You're right that it's on a higher level, but why is it, what is so, like if, it, if they made it into the top 13, there's got to be a reason not just to tell you, hey, by the way, Moshe was really, really special. Like, that's not what the Torah is. Now, that's not what we need the 13 principles of faith. Yeah. Could it be because he didn't want to accept it? Like, he felt like 
We're going to be speaking about whatever you just mentioned. Yes, we're going to be speaking about it. Uh, it's going to come into play a lot, uh, but it's not... It's not the direct answer, but it's the indirect answer. And you'll soon see what I, what I said by it. Okay, so, so let us begin. So now, if somebody goes and somebody does not believe in Moshe Rabbeinu, someone says, no, the Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy is not legit, whatever, anything he says about Moshe Rabbeinu that's not true, he knows that regarding his prophecy, he knows that that person is, is known as an apicorus, and that person has no share in the world to come. I believe we mentioned before the severity of no share in the world to come. Not a place that anybody wants to be. Not a place that anybody you know wants to be. And not a place that anybody that you know who knows wants to be. We're going to stop now. Okay, so now, the, the, when, we, when we speak about Moshe's uh, prophecy, we know that in Bamidbar, uh, in Numbers, chapter 12, verse 8, it says, God spoke to Moshe mouth to mouth. What does that mean that God spoke to Moshe about? Moshe Rabbeinu reached the highest human level possible. He reached an extremely, extremely high level. The, the idea behind this and understanding this is when... The reason that we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu is not because of all the miracles that he did. And by the way, he did tremendous amount of miracles. I'm like, when you compare his miracles to any other prophet or fake prophet, Jesus, anybody else, prophet, you know, like anybody else is not even close to what he did. Like you're talking about somebody who, um, what, you know, through his, you know, if you want to call the miracles, 10 plagues. You know, we could, by the way, we could just stop at plague number one. And he already beat everybody. You know, he already beat like everybody else. Already, but 10 plagues he went through. Then he, then it was a splitting of the sea. And we know obviously it wasn't him, it was all from God. But it was, you know, through, you know, he was, he was the, you know, the, 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 call it a vessel. But he was the one who led the Jews through this. And so you have the 10 plagues. You have the splitting of the sea. You have the Matan Torah. You have the giving of the Torah. You have 40 years in the desert, which by the way, food fell from the sky for that period of time, like we can begin to comprehend it. You have like, you know, like, you know, the, the, the Christians, for example, they say, you know, like, well, Jesus gave us, you know, gave, he fed, what is it, 5,000 people. Wow. 5,000 people. Moshe Rabbeinu fed 600,000, that's just men, between the, you know, you're talking about over 3 million people he fed for 40 years. What is 5,000 people? Like that proves, that, that's going to prove to you that everything Moshe Rabbeinu said is nullified because somebody fed somebody or attempted to feed somebody. We're not going to get into that. For, you know, for, you know, like, you know, do you begin to be, understand the, the miracles that happened in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu? But you should know. The reason, says the Rambam, the reason, in if I'm not mistaken, the reason that we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu is not because of the miracles that he created, that, that, that he went through. What is the reason that we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu? The reason, says the Ramban, that we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu is because we stood at Har Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu stood at Har Sinai. We heard, we saw God speak to Moshe Rabbeinu and say, Moses, Moses, tell this, that, and it goes on for all the commandments. And then Moshe Rabbeinu said the commandments. The reason why we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu is because we saw that God was speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu. There is no higher level in prophecy than that. Like we, the, everybody in Har Sinai, in the, in the time of giving the, of, the, of, the, of the Torah, we were all there, and we witnessed everything. It's like somebody who witnessed a car accident. And there was two cars. There was a pink car, and there was a blue car. And obviously, the pink car hit the blue car. Because we know how... No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm not kidding. Statistically speaking, I'm not. So anyways, so uh, the pink car uh, is, is, is hitting the blue car. Now, day and age, doesn't mean that it's woman, by the way. So... Uh, <laughs> Right, it's in Brooklyn, so if they're Brooklyn, they're fighting about parking, and they hit each other. Now, you witnessed the whole thing, and you saw the pink car hit the blue car. 
Um, the pink, what is that little Volkswagen called? Buggy? The, the buggy, is that what it's called? No. The buggy? The, the wagon? I don't know, whatever. The one that looks like a half circle, right? <laughs> the pink buggy hit a blue truck. A right? Let's make it a little bit more interesting, shall we? <laughs> Dig our own hole. Okay, so now, this pink car, and you witness the whole thing. The cop comes in, and he says, you know, looks at the witnesses, did you see what happened? You raise your hand, you're a good, uh, you know, uh, Samaritan, and you go and you say, I'm ready to testify, I've seen the whole thing. Even, you know, and you go and you say, the pink car was making the turn over here, and the car truck was sitting over here very nicely smoking a cigar, and uh, the, the pink, you know, car had, whatever, okay, whatever. And it goes, and it went, and it, and it went, and it, it completely, you know, went into the, into the blue car who was stationary. Then another person comes in, and he says, well, I saw something different. I saw that what? That the blue car was going crazy. It was doing donuts. It was making circles. And it hit the pink car, who was minding their own business, dealing with their own you know, Instagram account. They were just doing their own thing, and then it just hit them. And this guy who's telling you, he was trying to convince you, and says, this is what you saw. And you're like, I know what I saw. I was right here. I witnessed the whole thing. I saw it. Would you ever believe this person and says, no, this is what happened? Not if you saw it. Let me add, and not if you're not on any prescription or non-prescription medication. You would say, no, what I saw is what I saw, and that's what it is. The, the Jewish people, we witness the Torah. We witness this all happen. Anybody else that comes in afterwards is not going to be able to deny the fact that we saw it. Like, you can't say, oh, it didn't happen. No, you can't say that. We were right there. We witnessed the entire thing. The reason why we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu is not because of the miracles. You know why the miracles happen? It wasn't trying to prove something. It wasn't trying to say, hey, listen, you're going to believe in the Moshe Rabbeinu now because of all the miracles. The miracles happened because there was a reason for the miracles. The, the Egyptians had to get punished. They went through and the Jews had to get out. Ten plagues. The Egyptians had to get drowned. The splitting of the sea. The Jews had to get the Torah. You know, they, that's what we had, Matan Torah. The Jews had, were, needed food, you got the man. The Jews were thirsty, you had the rock. You had all these things that happened for a reason. The miracles weren't there to prove anything. None of the miracles were there to prove anything. The only thing that proved something was God speaking to Moshe, and we heard and we saw it all. That is the reason that, that we saw. And the Ram goes and brings it down. It says in the Pasuk, in, this is in Exodus chapter 19, verse 9, it says, I'm coming to you in the thickness of the cloud. This is God speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu. And the, and the nation is going to hear me speak to you. And now they're going to believe in you forever. You know what it's saying over here? It means that without this, they weren't necessarily going to believe in Moshe Rabbeinu forever. But now that they were able to witness it with their own eyes, now they're going to believe in forever. This is the idea of mass revelation. We spoke about it in depth in a previous class in, um, in, in our divinity series. But this, this, is where, this is where it comes very important when we understand Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, every other religion, there's a leap of faith. What does that mean that with a leap of faith? There's one guy, or there's two guys, or a very, very small, tight group that comes in and says, Hey, listen, guys, we have an announcement to make. You know, God spoke to us and told us what you need to do. And they are very charismatic and they're able to explain it and they're able to go and sell you everything. That is almost every single other religion. No, let me rephrase that. That is every single other religion. That is, it's one people or very few people say, God spoke to me, I'm the prophet, I'm the, you know, the savior, whatever it is, and this is what you have to do. In Judaism, that didn't happen. We witness everything. We heard God. You're talking about a very, very, very big difference over here. The idea is that, I, I, I think we mentioned this, uh, this story before. You have a king that died, and he had two sons. And these two sons, before the king died, the king didn't appoint one of the sons who's going to be the next king. So after the king died, 
You know, one son said, I should be the king. The other son said, I should be the rabbi, the king. I'm sorry. Um, and then they go and then they say, listen, I'm spo- the one who's supposed to be the king. And they're each fighting and they're each going and they're each going, you know, through the thing. And they're each, they each get factions. They each get, you know, a big big part of the community, uh, the nation uh, goes to them. And a big part of the nation goes to them. And they say, no, I'm supposed to be the, I'm supposed to be the king. I'm supposed to be the king. So I see very few people get that. Okay. So now the, um, the you know, the, the idea behind this is all of a sudden, a few weeks go by. It gets more and more and heated. Finally, one king gets up there. One prince gets up there. And he says, listen. He says, my father came to me in a dream last night. And everybody's quiet. It's like, oh, what does father say? And he says, my father said that I'm the one who's supposed to be king. And everybody, the other king, the other prince is listening into it. And all the, 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 the elders is listening to it. Everyone's listening to it. And everyone's like, wow. You know, like, well, that's, you know, like, pretty definitive. Like, his father came to him and told him that that's what should be. Suddenly, one of the elders gets up. And he says, wait a minute. He says, why did your father, if he wanted you to be king, why did he come to you? He should have came to us. He says, it's very easy for you to say that you saw your father, you know, as a king. But if you really were supposed to be king, he should have came to us. Or he should have came to the other son. You know, why did he come to you? The same idea in Judaism. Judaism you have, the whole world, the whole Jewish nation here is God. All of a sudden, one person comes and says, hey, by the way, listen, everything is nullified and we got to do this for now on. God has a track record. The track record is Tell everybody. You know, that's the track record. Because then everybody should know what's right and what's wrong. All of a sudden, God's changing his plan. That doesn't make sense. He's, saying, he's telling one person, hey, by the way, this is all fake and false. Now we have to do something else. If that's true, then come into a dream of prophecy, whatever, to everybody else. That is the idea. With, that is the importance of, of what we're dealing with, Moshe Rabbeinu. What we're dealing with, Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, nobody could dispute the prophet. If somebody comes in, the halakha, somebody comes in and becomes a prophet, does miracles, whatever it is that you want. And he says, he's disputing the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. We know right then and there he's a false prophet. It's impossible that you're going to be disputing, because we all saw that. All of a sudden, one person is disputing it. Doesn't make any sense. If that's going to happen, there's a track record. And that didn't happen, so we know that that's not the, you know, there's no such thing as disputing the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. This is what we see over here so far. One reason why it's so important to now that we add an extra criteria that regard, we said prophecy already, now we say again, prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu was the highest. Why? Showing you that the Torah is not changing. The Torah, is not change, the Torah does not change. The Torah is not going to change. Why? Because we see the way that Moshe Rabbeinu got the Torah is very, very different than anything that else that happened in, uh, in history. So let's go on to, uh, to uh, step number two. Step number two, we have to understand that the Rambam brings down there's four differences between the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu to the prophecy of all the other prophets. Difference number one is that all the other prophets, they got the prophecy in either a dream or a trance while they're awake. They, get, they, went, they, they lost like their, their focus and it became into either a trance or while they're sleeping in a dream. Moshe Rabbeinu was fully awake while he was, able, while he was, accepting, uh, while he was getting prophecy. That's number one. Number two, all other prophecies came through metaphors uh, to the prophet. To Moshe Rabbeinu, everything came exactly word for word the way that it's supposed to come. And we'll, we'll expand on this a little bit later. That's number two. Number three is that when another prophet goes and has prophecy, his strength fails him or her. It falls on the floor. They, they lose all physical strength. Moshe Rabbeinu did not lose all his strength. He was normal and composed as he was without prophecy. Just everything was, was, was standard. Number four is that a, a prophet would never be able to prophesize whenever they wanted. They had to pray. They had to, it's all based on God. Moshe Rabbeinu, he would be able to prophesize whenever, whenever he wanted. Where do we see this? We see this in, in Bamidbar, in Numbers chapter 9, verse 8. It says, Vayom Alehem Moshe. Moshe tells the Jewish people. And it says, Imdu, wait over here, ve'eshma'ah. Stand over here. Ve'eshma'ah ma'yitzave Hashem etchelachem. Let me hear what God is going to tell you. What's God going to command you? Meaning that Moshe was speaking to people. He says, hold on. You want, let's find out. 
Let me go and speak to God and let me see what's going to happen. And he was able to prophesize it in that manner. So Moshe Rabbeinu was different in these four, in these four manners than all of the prophets. Says Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus. Says that you have to be very careful when you're learning this. You have to realize you should not go and decrease the, the level of prophecy of other people when you compare it to Moshe Rabbeinu. You're talking about, you know, we said, very, 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 you know, we don't have to go to that. Very, you know, holy people that you're dealing with over here. What does it mean that Moshe was on a higher level to explain this? The, um, let's go to, uh, let's try to explain this very clear. If somebody hears a very, very shocking piece of, of evidence, what happens then? Mouth all of a sudden opens up. Uh, why? Have you ever seen, I don't know if you've ever seen this, have you ever seen you know, a die-hard celebrity fan meet their idol, right? You ever seen that? It's 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 comical. It's almost you know like the mouth. It's it's almost like textbook. The mouth opens up. They cover. I don't know why this happens. The mouth opens up, and then this happens. And I'm speaking about men, by the way, right? And then this happens, right? And then they're going crazy. They run around in circles like a chicken without a head for a little bit. And they're like, oh my god, I can't believe it. Oh my god, I can't believe it. Oh my god, I can't believe it. They hyperventilate. They go through shock. They go through therapy. They need some medication. Finally, they come down. You know, they're crying. They're laughing. They're- they have this when they go, and you know, they go and they and they they get to this high, this craziness. What? What are you doing? It's very embarrassing. You know, you, I never understood that idea. You open your mouth, you cover it, you do this. I, from, to my life, I mean, I still don't understand what... And, you know, you're laughing at me. I actually tried to do some scientific... There is some scientific research. Your mouth open because it's fear and the same thing as shock. There is some scientific evidence. Now, I was researching it, uh, you know, behind it. I find it fascinating. Why, why, when you're shocking, all of a sudden your mouth opens up? You know, like, why, why does it open? You know, it's interesting, no? Anyways, there are certain times when you get through such a shock... Put it this way: Have you ever um, been on a roller coaster? And there are some people that don't scream on a roller coaster, and there's some people. It's a 614th commandment; they must scream and wake up all the dead people on on a, on a roller coaster. And whatever. Listen, we're not judging. You know, you are plummeting to your death technically, so you know it's it's all right. Um, but you have you ever somebody who is has the requirement to scream, right? The chiyuv to scream. <laughs> Have you ever tried to not scream if you're that person? You try not to, you're like, mm, 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 and like that, and that's by the way, that's just going up, right? I mean, when you come down, you know, you're you're going through the whole entire thing. There are certain times in life that you just lose control. I'll tell you an embarrassing story. It may or may not be from me. Um, it is okay. So I was in Israel, and uh, there was this like male. Type of spot, you know, right, right. When I was, I was 18 years old. I went to learn in yeshiva in Al Israel, and I go to this, to this. So after, you know, after you, you're doing whatever you do, you have like an option to clean yourself off in like these pools of water. You have, uh, and there, you know. So I, I don't know if you realize, I, you know, I, you know, Baruch Hashem, I have a very, very high prescription of glasses. So if I take this off, I don't, I don't, I don't really see much. So um, yeah. So um, and um, so. No, I didn't lose my glasses, but I take, you're going into water, you take off your glasses, you're not going to go into the water with the glasses. So, I'm going, I'm like, okay, listen, I'm about to leave, let me go, you know, clean myself, you know, dump in the, you know, go dunk in the water, and um, I take off my glasses, and I walk to the place where I know where the water is. First time, first time ever there. I'm walking to the place where, where all the water is, and um, I get over there. Now, even though for anybody, does anybody here have a very, very bad prescription? Okay, so do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you see things, but they're very, very blurry, right? So... I take off my glasses and I see, yeah, yeah, that's true. You don't have, right? So I see three pools of water. In one pool, 
lots of people there. <laughs> lots of people there. In another pool, one person there. In another pool, completely empty. Now, I'm an 18-year-old kid, and I'm thinking, what's the right thing to do? You go to the empty one. I'm going to you know, have my own pool to myself. Of course I'm going to do it. So I go in, and, and you know, like, when you're 18, you know, you go in. You don't just walk in. You don't test the water. You, you go in. And um, so I took, like, three steps in. And when I took three steps in, I'm like, something is wrong here. Um, it felt freezing. The water was so cold. And then I waited about four seconds, and I realized, mm, no, it's not cold. It's so hot that my brain thought that it was cold. That's how hot it was. I don't think I've ever went into such hot water before in my life. Where this, I, I, I took like, two steps in. And I'm two steps in, I'm like, ooh, it's so cold. And I'm like, oh, my, my skin is burning off. And then they just transferred into that. And I'm like, you know, I'm 18 years old, and, you know, men have to be macho. I took two steps in. You don't turn around and go out. Now, Baruch Hashem, I've gone, gone out. Have you ever had the people, you know, they trip and they fall and over their own feet, but they then, you know, everyone's watching them, obviously, so they investigate the street to realize, like, the city of New York, there's a crack over here, you know, like, you know. Or have you ever had it that you're walking and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm not going the right way. <laughs> so some people would be like, will take out their phone and they'll be like, oh, oh, yeah, I, I got to go over here. And they turn around and go the other way, right? Bokashan, I came to the point, like, I'm wrong, wait, 180 and right back. Like somebody's looking at me, I'm like, I, I came to the point, I couldn't care less. Um, you trip and you fall, you go in, yeah, Bokashan, that's it. It's a stepping stone, you know, that way I've got to, you know, like, uh, by all of you. Um, so, um, you go over there, you get to a point where you're just like, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, you don't have to go. You trip and you fall, realize you're, you know, a little bit of a schlamazel, you walk and you keep on going. You know, like, it's not, not something, not, not the worst thing in the world. Not everybody's gonna, like, you know, care so much about it. The same idea, you know, you have a stain. And you're like, you're like this, you know, the whole day. Like, no one cares about your stain. People are too worried about their own stains. No one cares about it. Just like, you know, you could go in with like, you know, a chocolate milk stain all over your... You know, and no one cares. Everyone's too self-centered. Um, but in any case, I'm two steps into this really, 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 really hot water. Now, in my mind, I'm committed into this already. I, you know, like, I've gone this far, you know. you got to see things... As a man, you have to see things through. So... For the next about 15 minutes, it's one step at a time. And everybody's apparently watching me because, like, there's a reason why no one's in here. Because it's meant to cook eggs and not anything for humans. So, um, you know, I go in and, you know, very, very slowly, I keep on going in. Baruch Hashem, with grace of God, I'm able to go in. And then the, when you go into these type of pools, you don't just sit there. You, you know, you completely dunk yourself inside and, you know, you go, uh, you know, completely clean yourself off. So... Um, you know, I still have a feeling that everybody's still looking. I can't look because I can't see, but I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm assuming everybody's still. So I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, you know, I got a dunk. And I'm in, other, my, in you know, my other voice uh, saying is like, you're going to burn your face off. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like you already burned most of your body off. Uh, and I was like, no, I got to do it. Um, and I go and I work off my courage and I dunk all the way in and then I get up. Now, Something very interesting happened when I came up. The, I didn't faint. No, I didn't faint. Um, I get up, and a, um, a noise came out of my mouth that was not intended to come out of my mouth. It may or may not sounded like a dolphin. Um, it, just, it just came out. And then I was like, you know, I was like, yeah. like what's going on over here? You know, like, excuse me. Like, you know, like, you know, you come out. You, imagine you come out of the, the water. And you're like, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm a man, you know, and you come over there like, what's going on? And, uh, and then I was like, okay, now I have to uh, redeem myself. Um, so I went in again. The voice came out again by itself. And I was like, I was like, okay, now, now it's like a challenge for me. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm like, I'm psyching myself out. I'm like, focus, you know, focus, focus, no voice, no noise. What's going on over here? I go in again, another voice comes out. And I'm like, please God. You know, like what's going on over here? Why is voices coming out of my mouth? The more I could not stop it. I never in my life had it happened and it happened one time it happened. I never understood why until until I started learning about this subject. Now I understood why now I understood why it happened. I mean, maybe I'm sure there was other reasons, but now I understood one one reason why it happened to me. There's sometimes you realize that you are completely not in control. I was not in control. As much as I tried to be in control, as much as I tried to prevent that awful noise from escaping my lips, I couldn't. It just came out. And I tried, I tried, I tried. I focused very hard. I couldn't have it. I don't know why. I, it just, it wouldn't happen. Now, what, when we look at prophecy, now, when we look at prophecy, a prophet, when they get, when they hear all of a sudden, when they get a, this message, they lose complete control. You know why? They're in so much shock. They're dealing with, with like godly, you're dealing with divine information. They're in so much shock that they just completely lose control. They lose control. What does it mean to lose control? I have known what it meant to, to you know, to lose control. You, you cannot control yourself. You're beyond yourself to have the ability to control it. The idea, you, you know, like idea when you're sleeping, you cannot stand and sleep. I know very few people have this amazing ability to stand and sleep, but like the majority of people have a very, very, you, you can't stand and sleep. When you're sleeping, you lose physical control. You don't have the physical control to do whatever you want to. You, you collapse. The prophets, when they, when they went to such a high level of, of this like divine information that they were receiving from God, they lost control. It wasn't about like, like oh, I'm going to focus. It was no option. It was just that they completely lose, lose control. The, the, the reason is, is because they're, their prophetic state was in a tremendous contradiction to their physical state. They, it was too different. They, you know, they're, they're living in a physical world, and all of a sudden they get into the spiritual world, re- getting this information. This is like beyond the capabilities to understand and comprehend, and they lost complete control. Moshe Rabbeinu was not like that. All the prophets lost control when they got prophecy. Moshe Rabbeinu did not get that. Why? Because there was no contradiction between the physicality of him and the spirituality of him. It says in, in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, chapter 33, verse 1, Moshe Isha Eloki, Moshe is a man of God. What does it mean? That he raised himself to such a high level, to such a high level of spirituality, that the spiritual and the physical was not a contradiction. So when he was dealing with divine prophecy, it wasn't something all of a sudden that like, I completely lose control. He was such a high level that it didn't lose control. Do you understand the difference over here? Says our Shishim Pekas, this is how we understand the difference between Moshe Rabbeinu and the Prophets. Not that the Prophets, the Moshe Rabbeinu and the Prophets were all on high levels. Moshe Rabbeinu was obviously on a much higher level, but not to denote the level of the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, we have to understand, how did Moshe Rabbeinu get to this level? How was Moshe Rabbeinu able to get to such a high level that no one ever was gonna, no one ever was or will be able to reach this type of level? So when we look at Moshe Rabbeinu, we, re, we spoke about it before, how much Moshe Rabbeinu was able to accomplish. You're talking about somebody who took people out of a nation that was completely like impossible to take out a slave nation from it. He was able to do so much, like you're talking about the, the plates, you're talking about, the, the, you're talking about so much, everything that we mentioned before. Above that, by the way, Moshe was a fugitive. He wasn't like, Moshe Rabbeinu was a fugitive. He had to run away from Egyptian. And by the way, he was known, he was, he was seen to others as an Egyptian. When he, when he told saw him, they saw who, who helped you, who saved you. It was an Egyptian man. Moshe Rabbeinu was known as an Egyptian. Save so an Egyptian man, who by the way, saved the Jewish people, 
by a person who enslaved the Jewish people, the person that he calls father. Paul, he lived in Paul's house, or grandfather, depending, you know, uh, grandpa, I don't know, whatever. You know, uh, you know he, he that, that, you know, like Moshe Rabbeinu was, was, was not the, where the Jewish people were expecting to see their salvation from. Like, this is what you're dealing with Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was not a charismatic speaker, and that's why he was able to take things out. In fact, he said he was ahas time. he didn't have the ability to speak well. Everything was that we, which is an obvious, you know, you know, showing that it's everything is directly from God. How was Moshe Rabbeinu able to reach such a high level? So there's a story that is told that there was a king during the time of Matan Torah and the king goes and hires an artist and he says, listen, and he says, I want you to go and get into the, the, the this is a non-Jewish king, I want you to get into the, to, to the Jewish camp, I want you to look at Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you to draw me a portrait of Moshe Rabbeinu. So this artist goes, gets into the camp, draws a portrait of Moshe Rabbeinu, comes back to the king and says, here's Moshe Rabbeinu. The king goes, calls all the sages, calls all the people that have very, very good knowledge on reading people's faces and facial expressions and understanding who they are by just looking at their picture. So they call all the greatest Chachamim in, the, in, his, in his country in this, and they go and they look and they study it and they come into the conclusion, Moshe Rabbeinu was a person who had a very, very low character trait. A very, very, you know, corrupt character trait. Must be that he worked so hard and that's why he was able to reach such a high level. But this is really what he was. Says Rabbi Shulayt Diskin and Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus and says this is not true. How, why is it not true? First of all, how did this artist get into the camp? This camp was, was surrounded by an anayakavot. Yitro, Moshe's father had a hard time getting in. An artist is going to be able to come in? Ha- and furthermore, Moshe has corrupt character traits. We know in the Torah, it says when Moshe Rabbeinu was born, light filled the room all of a sudden. When he was born already, he was already on a high level. He was born circumcised. He was born on a high level. Says Rabbi Shimshim Pinkus, and he goes and explains, and says, you know how what, 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 what this was trying to accomplish, and falsely tried to accomplish, is that imagine, you know, somebody from Latvia comes over to you, and that's a place, right? Okay. Um, and he goes and he says... Um, how is it that America went and reached the moon? And you tried to explain, so listen, America, you know, we had a spaceship, but we built this spaceship on a very, very high mountain, and then we built a very, very high platform, so we're already very close to the moon, and then we left from the, the spaceship, we went up to the moon. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. The difference from the highest mountain to the moon is, this, is, is, is infinitesimal. It's so tiny compared to the difference on a flat surface where, where you have the lowest point of the earth to the moon. Like that little, that little edge is not going to make a difference. The fact that you're building all of a sudden a big tower is not going to make you closer to the moon per se than if you didn't build a high tower. The reason why we got there is we had a spaceship. The same idea, what were people trying to do? What people were trying to do is, you know, Moshe, they were trying to increase his, like, his, the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu with this story. Look, Moshe Rabbeinu was at such a low level and he went to such a high level. It says Moshe Rabbeinu went to such a high level, you don't have to say that he was at such a low level. He got to the level, he was able to speak to God. I was able to speak to God through mouth to mouth. It doesn't, you think it makes a difference if you're on a mountain, if you're not on a mountain, if you're on a pitch, or if you're not, you're talking about speaking to God. Moshe Rabbeinu says, he was started off in a very high level. That doesn't mean that he had to work hard. He had to work extremely hard to get where he went to. But he, you're talking about speaking to God, talking about, about standing on a mountain or a mountain, it doesn't make any difference when you're dealing about what Moshe Rabbeinu had to work for. Moshe Rabbeinu had to work for a tremendous amount to get to the level that he, that he was able to get to. So now, Moshe Rabbeinu, he had to work hard to get to where he got to. How did he get to it? What was, the, what was that main, or one of the main uh, uh, you know, things that he worked on that was able to reach such a high level? Says the, the Hasidut, he goes and explains, there are many, many sefer, uh, you know, sefer and the Hasidut, Sfarim and Hasidut that speak about this, that says that it's speaking about Moshe's bitul. Bitul is like the self-abnegation, self-nullification. Moshe Rabbeinu, 
the Sefer the Hasidut goes and explains also that the more one has self nullification, the more humble a person gets. Moshe Rabbeinu got taught such a high level of nullification before God and humility, humility before God that he was able to go to such a, you know, to such a high level. And this is the character trait that was able to bring him above higher, above the rest. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu, it says in Shemot, chapter 16, verse 8, it says Moshe Rabbeinu, it says the Nachnuma. What are we? What are we? Meaning, Moshe and Aaron said, what are we? We're, we're nothing. Humility is showing to the level that Moshe Rabbeinu was. And also in Bamidbar, chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Va'ish Moshe anav me'od mikol adam. Moshe Rabbeinu was more humble than all other men. All other men. Meaning that humility, and by the way, out of all the character traits that the Torah speaks about, uh, praises, the only praise that it gives regarding Moshe Rabbeinu, regarding his character traits, if I'm not mistaken, is about humility. All, that's it. Only about humility. Why is humility so important? Ramosha Shapiro goes and explains. Says, he says a story about Rabbi Yonas and Eipschitz. That says that when, when, the, when Yom Kippur was coming, Rabbi Yonas and Eipschitz was a big rabbi. He wanted to go and sit next to, and pray next to somebody who is very, very humble. So, how is he going to get to somebody who's very humble? He has to do his, his due diligence. He has to do research. He was going to find somebody who's very, very humble. And he heard somebody who was, after he finished praying, he says, you know, we, uh, you know I am dust. I am dirt after I die. Even more so while I'm, I'm alive, I'm also dirt. I'm also nothing. Says Rabbi Yonas and Eipschitz says, look at this guy, he's so humble, he says, I want to pray next to this guy. So Yom Kippur night, he goes and he prays next to this guy, this guy's crying, this guy's doing his job, Rabbi Yonas and Eipschitz says, I picked a good guy, you know, I go, go stand next to him, and everything is excellent. The next day, the time for, you know, the prayer starts, and then there's time for getting Alidah, to, to getting to, to read before the Torah. And this guy who's sitting next to him got a chance to get an Aliyah. Now, he didn't get what he thought was the most highest level of an Aliyah that he deserved. So he got very upset, very angry. He says, I don't understand. He says, how come I didn't get the highest level of, of Aliyah and you give it to somebody else? Aviyah Sashas was very disturbed by this. He says, I don't understand. He says, yesterday you were crying and you were saying you're nothing. You're so humble. You're compared to de- dirt even when you're alive. You're such a humble person. How is it today that, you know, you're going and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're displaying, you know, a sense of arrogance? Says, says this old man, says this person, who says, uh, you know, when I compare myself to God, I'm very, I'm very humble. He says, but when I compare myself to this guy, he says, you know who this guy is? You know who I am? He says, come on. He says, I should have gotten the better aliyah. So he says, you know, humility, there are some people that are very humble outside. They tell you they're very humble. Like, I'm a very humble person. I appreciate, you know, like, I'm, you know, when somebody more humble a person says that he is, the more that you know that he is humble. But also, um, you know, like, you go and you say, like, you know, oh, you know, outside it's very easy to be humble. It's very easy to be humble. You know how you tell if somebody's really humble? In the house. There's some people that are that appear to be big tzaddikim outside the house. All of a sudden they get into the house, they're screaming at their kids, they're screaming at their wives, or they're screaming at their husbands, whatever it is, they're, they're going and they're just, they're showing such a level of arrogance. Outside the house, very easy to be humble. Oh, well, I shouldn't say very, easier to be humble. Inside the house, by the people that really know you, it's difficult to be humble. It's difficult to show this humility. You look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu in, uh, in Bamidbar, chapter 12. It speaks about a very interesting situation, a very interesting story. Miriam and Aaron are discussing Moshe Rabbeinu. They say, what's with Moshe Rabbeinu? Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe Rabbeinu, all prophets. Moshe Rabbeinu, though, he, you know, you know, separated from the marital relations that the other prophets didn't separate from. Says Miriam, to, uh, you know, says Miriam, says, I understand. Says, why is Moshe Rabbeinu any better than us? Says, we're prophets. He, we speak to God, and Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to God. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu go and separate himself? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu go and have to go and, and, and disengage from this, from this act? As opposed to that we didn't need, that we didn't need to do that. 
Then, this is the way the, the, the Pesukim goes on. Then the Pesukim sort of like interrupts the whole story. And it says the Pesuk that I just mentioned before. And Moshe Rabbeinu was more humble than any other man, in, you know, uh, any other human being. That seems very odd. Miriam is telling a story. Miriam is speaking. And all of a sudden the Torah speaks in, hey, by the way, Moshe Rabbeinu is very humble. And the Torah goes afterwards. And, and then that's when God interjects and says, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu. And it goes and explains, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu's you know, opinion. What's going on over here? It seems like it's, it, you're saying a story. You're interjecting with like a, hey, statement. You know, hey, Moshe is very humble. And then you continue with the story. What is this interjection? So the Mephashim goes and explains. It says, you think, when you're reading the story, it seems that Miriam is speaking to Aaron. And it's saying, hey, listen, what's with Moshe Rabbeinu? Why is he not, go- why is he separating? And we don't need to separate it. Really, says the Mephashim, you know why, what's going on over here? Is Moshe Rabbeinu was also present in this conversation. Moshe Rabbeinu was listening to all of this. Miriam was saying this. Moshe was right there, but he didn't say a word. He didn't say a single thing. That's when God had to interject. In- interject. interject. English, please. Okay, thank you. Um, he, that's where God had to interject. Beforehand, Moshe Rabbeinu was not saying anything. You know how you tell you, the real level of humility? In his own household, if you're humble, whew, that's, that's when you know that you're humble. That's when you know you reach a level of humility that's, that's a level. When, in, when all of a sudden, the Torah, why all of a sudden here the Torah is telling you that Moshe is humble? Because the Torah is telling you this, this, this story, the situation of what's going on up here. Miriam is speaking about Moshe. Moshe had the ability, he knew that he had to separate. He was on a different level, we just mentioned. This is what we're speaking about the whole day today. We're, we're mentioning the level of Moshe Rabinu. He could have, you know, defended himself, but he didn't. He didn't say a word. He was humble. That's where the Torah says, oh, here you see Moshe's humility. Here you see Moshe's humility. That, that's when God came in and says, Moshe, you know, I speak to Moshe face to face. And you know, this is why, the reason that, you know, that Moshe Rabinu. But there's a question that we have to understand over here. Moshe Rabbeinu, we know, is very, very humble. But how? How could he be humble? He wrote the Torah. In the Torah, speaks about how amazing he is. How awesome he is. How all the great stuff that he did. How was Moshe Rabbeinu was able to stay humble with all this stuff? He knew who he was. He wasn't somebody like, oh, I'm so humble. He knew what he was capable of. He knew what he accomplished. How was he able to stay so humble? Says the Shem Yishmuel in Parashat Shmini. And he goes and he asks this question. He says, how is Moshe Rabbeinu able to stay so humble? And he says that, that when, uh, he says even furthermore, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote his own praises in the Torah. Says, says the Shemesh he says the reason why he was able to keep himself so humble is that he was able to compare himself to, toward, to God. He had a very, very close connection to God. When he was able to compare himself to God, he knew, you know, what, 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 where he was. And that's how he was able to go and bring himself down to this humble level. That says the Abbasir Rab Nelson, he says that, it says Moshe Rabbeinu, he was a Nav Mikol Adam. He was more humble than all men. This will tell you, think maybe he's more humble than angels. Says the officer, I'm not saying, no, no, no. He's not humble, more humble than all the angels. Why? Because angels are even a closer level than God. The closer that you are to God, the greater that you realize God is, the more humble that you become. Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest of all men, not of all angels, because angels are even closer to God. They're able to have a, a greater sense of, of humility. This is something that the, the Shloss says, the Shnei Luchot Abid brings down, a very beautiful thing. You know, the, when, when the Torah says that he is more humble, Mikol Adam. Why did it say Mikol Adam? Because the Torah speaks about three people that are humble. Three, three, three people that are humble. Number one, you have Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu says, I am but dust and ashes. He says, very humble. David Amelach says that he is anitolat. He's like a worm. Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron says, We are, what are we? Says, says the same, same, says the, the Shlaka. It says, who is the most humble? Avraham Avinu compared himself humble to ashes. David Amelach compared himself humble towards worms. Moshe and Aaron compare themselves humble to nothing. It says, what are we? They didn't even compare themselves into nothing. So who was the most humble? The most humble was Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe didn't even compare himself to anything. He was the most humble. It says the Shalakar is something very beautiful. Then if you break out the words Adam, Adam 
First letter is Aleph, stands for Avraham. Second letter is Dalit, stands for David. Third letter is a mem, stands for Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu, there are three people in Torah that's mentioned about humility. Moshe Rabbeinu is Yotar Anav, he's greater humility. Mikol Adam, what is Mikol Adam? Everybody that the Torah mentions regarding humility. Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest. Adam, I, I'm sorry, Abraham, Moshe, and David. Moshe was the most, most humblest man. Moshe was the one who reaches the, the greatest level of humility. Now we can begin to understand the understanding of why it was that only through Moshe Rabbeinu we were able to receive the Torah. So beautiful. You guys are so lucky you came today. I'm so lucky I came today. Listen to this fascinating concept. When you have somebody who's acting as an interface, so let's say you have somebody who's a genius. Nobody understands him. And then you have the general public. So let's say you have somebody who's also a genius, but he needs to go and basically translate the genius stuff to the general public. So the genius stuff goes and says like some words, and then he's able, what, what this middleman works, this interface goes and understands his concepts, and then he goes and explains it in a way that many, you know, the general public could be able to understand it. That's generally when you're dealing with an interface. It sort of goes through a system where you're able to comprehend things on a broader, uh, a broader spectrum that most people can, can understand it. When you're dealing with, with, with prophecy, it has to go through this, you know, you're thinking about divine, you're talking about a prophet, and you're talking about the Jewish nation. It has to go through this type of, a, of an interface. When you're dealing with Moshe Rabbeinu, we know that Moshe Rabbeinu, his prophecy was like a dictation. That God said this mitzvah, and he wrote it down. God said this is what you should write, and he wrote it down. Like a secretary writing down, dictating exactly word for word what the, what, what the person is telling them to write. Moshe Rabbeinu did not have any, he worked as a non-interactive interface. Which means as God gave the prophecy, it went directly through, non-change directly through the Jewish people. How did that work? How was somebody able to go and work as a non-interactive interface? Says something, something beautiful. Now we can begin to understand the idea of bitul. Moshe Rabbeinu had this self-nullification. He was able to bring himself to a level of humility that when he received something, he was in a such a level of humility that he didn't change. He wasn't had the ability to change anything. It worked as a non-interactive interface. The only way that we were able to get it to Am, this is a tremendous chidush, and this is the way that I understand it. Uh, if, we, if we can present a little bit of our own chidush today. The way that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to get the Torah, the way that we were able, because we know that we are getting the Torah directly from God, directly through Moshe Rabbeinu, directly to us, meaning that nothing has changed. What God said is what we have. There's no interact. There's a non-interactive interface. The only way that's going to happen, if somebody is extremely humble, has extremely bitul, had this self-nullification, the self-abnegation that is not able to change anything, the only person, the greatest, Yotera Anav Mikol, Adam, the only person that is able to do that in history is only Moshe Rabbeinu. Only through Moshe Rabbeinu we were able to get the Torah. It's something so fascinating. Let me extend this a little bit more and you'll explain this, you know, you should be dancing in your heart. Uh, you, know, and, you know, regarding the, 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 the beauty of how this makes so much perfect sense. It says in the Midrash that Bilam, Bilam presented equal prophecy to the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. You ever heard about this? That Moshe Rabbeinu was a very, very high level of prophecy, but the non-Jews also had a high level of prophecy, and that was Bilam. We see this in the Pasuk, in the Dvarim, Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verse 10. It says, There was no prophet that came up in the Jewish, Israel. There's no prophet that came up in the Jewish nation like Moshe Rabbeinu. That God was able to speak to him face to face. Why did the Torah say Israel? Because there was no prophet in amongst the Jewish nation that reached the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. But amongst the non-Jewish nation, there was a prophet. Who was that prophet? Says the Mitosh Bilam. Bilam was a, was a level, he reached a level of prophecy equal to Moshe Rabbeinu. We have to understand now, why did, Moshe, why did Bilam have to reach such a high level of prophecy? Um, first of all, the reason why Bilam had to be such a high level of prophecy is that the non-Jewish nations could have said, hey listen, 
It says, had you given us someone like Moshe Rabbeinu, we would have also been great like the Jewish nation. We would have also accepted Torah. We would have also done this. We would have also done, done that. In order to go and say, okay, listen, you want a fair chance? I'll give you a prophet. The prophet is Bilam. But, so when God gave the, the, the non-Jewish nations a prophet of Bilam, it had to be an equal caliber. Otherwise, it's not a, it's not a, it's not, they, they would still have the, the say to say, hey, listen, we could have done just as much as the Jews. Had we give, you given us someone like Moshe Rabbeinu, we, of course we could have done something. So Moshe Rabbeinu, they did get someone like Moshe Rabbeinu. That was, a, that was Bilam. But the problem is over here. Well, to, to a certain extent, but not in the good way. Not in the good way. Yeah, he was able, but, but the level, so let's try to explain it, and then we'll, maybe we'll be able, to, you'll be able to understand this a little bit more. Bilam, he had a very, 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 very wicked character trait, right? And this wicked character trait, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, he still had such a level of prophecy that he was able to get, so we have to understand this. The, in, in the Haftarah blessings that we make, we say, Asher bachar b'nevi'im tovim, that God gave us good prophets. And it goes on, and that they said the prophecy in, 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 emet, in, in emet. And we have to understand, when, when, the prophets, when, the, when the regular prophets went and communicated the prophecy, it was, um, it was in a different level. It was sort of like, uh, you know, the Shemesh Mul goes and explains it like this, that you have two people listening to a class, and they both understand the class. And then you ask them to go and explain the class. They'll explain it a little bit differently. They both come to the same point, to the same conclusion, but they explain it a little bit differently. Each prophet also had the same the same concept. That each prophet was received the prophecy. Those the Gemara says also that there are no two prophets that they say the same prophecy. Even if two prophets receive the same prophecy, they will present it in a different fashion. Why? Because while they say the true, hundred percent true, clear prophecy, the way that they received it. It's just like the same two people that heard a class, they come to the same conclusion, but because of everything else that happened in their life, they came through a different upbringing, they have a different perception on how they see reality, and they come and they explain it a little bit differently. The prophets went and they explained things in their own way, in their own perception, in their own way they're able to be, again, 100% true, 100% clear the same way, but this is the way the Gabbala says, the Phenomenal Sikh, the Gabbala Sanhedrin goes and brings down and says, there are no two prophets that are going to say the same prophecy. Now, the, the reason for this is because, again, based on their own perception. This is the way that prophecy worked. Now, if God would have allowed this to work with Bilam, Bilam was a person who was very, very wicked, low, low, low level of character trait. If, Bil, if God allowed Bilam to allow to have this perception of prophecy in the way that he sees it and perceives it, it will be twisted and be completely wrong and evil. So God had to, in order to happen to, to be a true level of prophecy, God had to put it in a level that is directly like Moshe Rabbeinu, meaning that it didn't have the level of prophecy that the prophets would have to have based on their own perception. That is the reason why we had to have Bilam on a different level than, uh, than, than Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, uh, I'm sorry, than the other, than the other prophets. The, there is an interpretation that the Mephashim speaks out that says when Moshe, when Bilam reached a high level of Moshe Rabbeinu, doesn't necessarily mean that they reached it on a, such a high level that they were such a, you know, holy person, that he was such a holy person, meaning that he reached such a high level in sorcery, in magic, the same way that Moshe reached a high, such a high level in holiness. So, in the same way that, what does it mean a prophecy like Bilam, a prophet like Bilam, meaning that Bilam was able to reach such a high level in prophecy, in, in, in magic, the same way that Moshe was able to reach such a high level in, in holiness. That is just a, uh, you know, side interpretation. Okay. But now, being that it's getting a little bit late, uh, you know, uh, I do want to spend a little bit, being that we spoke a little bit about humility, I want to discuss a little bit about the, the importance of, of humility. When, um, when, you know, Rabdessa goes and, and says, you know, that what's the opposite of humility? Arrogance, very good. 
that's what it goes and says regarding arrogance. Arrogance is like a little child who's learning, you know, the Aleph Bet. They're learning the ABCs. The second a little child learns the ABCs, you ask him, you know, do you want, do you want to learn how to anything? He knows everything. A child knows everything. The sec- anybody here as a teacher knows that the second that you teach them something, they know everything. They don't, they, you know, you can teach them, be like, okay, I'll learn, but I know everything already. Like they're, they're in a level that they feel like they learn everything. Then they learn how to put the words together. Like three words together, three letters together, three, two letters together. And at this point, they think they know everything. And then finally, you, they, they learn how to read and they think they can read and understand everything. At a child, in a child's capacity, whatever level they're at, they think that they're at the highest level. An arrogant person is just like a child. An arrogant person thinks that whatever they know, they know the best. I have spoken to people who, um, who goes and they tell me, like, no, you know, like I say, why don't you come to classes more? Maybe you'll understand more about the halachot. They're like, listen, Rabbi, I went to Yeshiva for a year already. I know it. I understand it. I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's, that's awesome. I, you know, in a year, that's pretty cool. You're able to learn everything. Um, what bracha do you make on this? Bracha is a blessing, right, Rabbi? And I'm like, you answered my question. <laughs> you know, like, like, what do you mean? And then, like, as he comes to more classes, he's like, what blessing do we make on this? And I usually reply back, well, didn't you go to Yeshiva? What blessing do you make on it? <laughs> like, people think, like, it comes from arrogance. You know everything? You came to Yeshiva one year. One, one year, you think you know everything? You know how long it takes to understand everything? It's a lifetime of work, that achievement, that you have to go to understand everything. You go, you say, you know, people go and they think, you know, you have people, you know, that, that they claim, you know, they say, listen, you know, I understand the basic stuff. And that's why we go on. I don't know if you guys understood it. You know, you know, you guys are here for quite some time. I speak a lot of basic stuff, a lot of basic stuff, and nobody knows. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Now, obviously, I speak it in a very deep manner. We go very deep into it, but people think they understand the basics. The more that you learn, the more that you realize you don't understand. Arrogance is where you come and say, "I understand. I know everything." When somebody says, "And some," let's say there's a topic of a rabbi giving a class, and you're like, "Oh no, I know that topic already." That comes from arrogance. Really, you know everything about the topic? How do you know maybe the rabbi is going to teach you something new? How come you don't go into the class? Some people don't go to certain classes. They hear the topic and say, listen, I know this already. That's pure arrogance. How do you know you know everything about this topic? This is impossible. I can almost guarantee that every single person that says that, they go to any type of class. It doesn't have to be me. Any other, any other person. Rabbi, you know rabbi, you'll learn something new. You'll always learn something new the more that you learn. But people, it comes from arrogance. You think that you know everything. Arrogance comes from you think that you know everything. When you have arrogance, it also prevents you from changing. If somebody has arrogance, we know the, the, the mabu, the flood, one of the reasons that they did, weren't able to change is the arrogance that they had. They realized, they thought that they knew everything, they had everything. They didn't, they didn't change. If you have arrogance, if you're an arrogant person, you will never change. You have to understand that about yourself. And most people don't think that they're arrogant. I'm, I'm very humble. You know, <laughs> if you think that you don't have arrogance, you have arrogance, by the way. Right? If you, if, if you think that, okay, maybe you hear this and you're like, you know what? I should work on this. Then you know, you don't have so much arrogance. But if you think, you know who should really listen to this? I know an arrogant person. <laughs> you know, like, then you know you have arrogance. If you're going and you're saying that I don't have this issue, you have this issue. This is like, you can't, because what does it say? It says, it says Rabbeinu Bechai, when, when Moshe Rabbeinu says, when, when, when the Torah tells about Moshe Rabbeinu that he was more humble than any other man, humility is one character trait. Usually, we're supposed to go in the middle. Don't be too extremes. The Torah says don't be too extremes. But humility, go to the extreme. The second that somebody doesn't go to the extreme means that you're not humble, that you have arrogance. So if you have arrogance, you have to work on it. The, you know, the idea with, with, and by the way, it's so in relationships, probably one of the most difficult people to live with is somebody who's arrogant. First of all, somebody who's arrogant, never wrong. Never wrong. It, you know how difficult it is to live with somebody who's never wrong? Who's never wrong? Usually women are never wrong, but that's okay, but that doesn't come from arrogance. But I'm saying when you're living with a man who's like, who's never wrong, 
Like, are you serious? You know how frustrating that could be? I have people that talk to me about this. There's nothing that this person can do that could ever be wrong. Like, you know, I'm sorry. You know, like, you know, like, you know, it's, you know, both. You know, like, there's nothing, you know, like, it's over. Like, it's so bad. You don't, people don't understand the level of severity of this. First of all, uh, you know, even furthermore, somebody who is arrogant, very difficult for them to apologize. An arrogant person, it's like, they start stuttering. They don't know. They, don't, they have to, you know, like, I'm, I'm, you know, like, I'm not... I'm not right, you know, they, they start to go slowly, you know, like, maybe I'm not always right, you know, like, they, the word sorry is very difficult for them to come out of their mouth, you know, an arrogant person is very, very difficult to, to apologize, an arrogant person first is, is even furthermore has that everything has to go their way, everything has to go their way, if you're somebody that everything has to go their way, their way mazal tov, you're an arrogant person, you know, you should know that, that you're a very arrogant person, and it's very difficult to live with you. You should know that. You, people have to realize the more arrogant that you are, the more difficult it is for someone to love you, including your spouse. It's very, very difficult. I can't emphasize this enough. If you're somebody who is, who is arrogant, it's almost game over. It's almost game over. It's only that the other person has to just give up everything. It's very difficult. The, you know, an arrogant person also gets angry very easily. Something doesn't go that way. Can you believe it? They, they, they did this. How dare you? Somebody says a comment, chas v'shalom, to them in a little way. Someone looks at them. This person hates me. This person this. You know, like it comes from such a place. It's very, very difficult. It comes from pure, pure arrogance. Furthermore, also, it's very hard to appease an arrogant person. Have you ever had someone arrogant that you, you, you accidentally hurt them? They say, listen, I'm very sorry. I don't want to talk to you right now. I need some space. I need some space. Listen, it's been four years. I need space. <laughs> You know, like, you know, like, they need you to go to outer space and, like, leave this earth. You know, like, you know, it's very difficult to appease someone. You could say, you could, if, let's say you mess up. Okay, people mess up. And you go and you apologize. And the other person can be forgiving. That person is an arrogant person. Again, obviously, there's, uh, there's, there's so many other criteria. I'm saying just a basic understanding of it. Somebody who can't say, listen, okay, I understand you mess up. It's fine. You know, if you can't say that, you're an arrogant person. All of you, you're such a high level. You're such a good person that nobody could, God forbid, do anything wrong to you. Okay, people mess up. Move on in life. Forgive them. They're sorry. Go on. Move on. You know, you know it, it's, it's also when you speak to people about this, it's always about the dumbest things. It's a, you speak about people on marriage problems. What did he do? Didn't buy me a birthday cake. You know, it's unbelievable. You know, like, he doesn't love me. She doesn't love me. Whatever it is, it doesn't. You know, doesn't. You know, like doesn't. I'd be like, you know, you know. Okay, fine. You know, like it. You know, there's, there's a. You know, fine. They bought you a birthday cake the next day. It's not even about the cake anymore. It's the principle. Once I hear it's the principle, you know, it's chazaka I wish you best of luck. You know, there's nothing to talk about. Once you say things again, there's always situations where it is about the principles. But majority of the times, it's about the principle means that you're arrogant and you can accept an apology. Accept an apology, move on in life. You know, why you gotta make your partner so difficult to live with? Like, why do you have to be such a difficult person? You're, everybody who's hearing this doesn't think about themselves. Be like, no, 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 you're my partner. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Honey, I have something you need to listen to. <laughs> and you watch, you know, while they listen to it. Be like, interesting, no? <laughs> and they're watching about like, it is interesting, no? You know, like, and then Shalom Bayit and Shalom Al Israel. And it's going to call on over here. And be like, what do you mean you're arrogant? No, you're arrogant. I'm arrogant. You're the one who, you know, like, you're both arrogant. Stop it. You know, you're both arrogant. We're dealing in a situation where everybody has an arrogance issue. Humility is supposed to go all the way to the end. If you're not going to the end, you're arrogant. Get with the program. Understand it. The first step of realizing you have a problem is realizing you have a problem. Say, hi, my name is Yoshua Zetron. I'm an arrogant person. You know? <laughs> 
hello, you know, nice to meet you, we're all arrogant, you know, that it's something that you need to, we all need to work on, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a character trait that we all need to constantly, constantly work on. Somebody who's arrogant also needs to constantly be, be praised. Now, I mentioned this before when I spoke about this in, whenever I spoke about this, um, well, self-esteem maybe, yeah, um, that's also very, something very interesting. Self, what's the difference between self-esteem and arrogance? Anybody know? Somebody who is arrogant, ego, ego you said? Yeah, somebody who is somebody who has somebody who has a high self-esteem doesn't need praises. Somebody who is arrogant needs constant praises from somebody else. Needs the constant validation from other from from other places. That you know when when somebody needs the the constantly be praised. And now husband to wife, it doesn't I don't think that this counts. Because why? A husband always has to praise his wife. Always. It's a, it's an halakha. This is a requirement. You can, you always have to praise praise your wife. A wife needs it. Behuyim Sholbach, there's a whole, whatever, there's a whole class we can speak about this. Just uh, the idea of what I speak to the men about this. No, it doesn't have to be from you. In fact, the women usually like to hear these classes. If you ever want a woman to hear a class, or if you ever want to hear a, a man hear the class, you write for women only. Or for men only, then you know the other gender is going to listen to it. But, um, in general, <laughs> I did, and when the majority of people listen to it, to women. So, um, the, when you write for men only, women like, I have to know, like, you know, like, and yeah, they, of course they want to listen to it, you know, like, truth is, for, when you write a class for, for men only, women are going to listen to it. You write a class for women only, some men are going to listen to it, some men are not, and be like, okay, whatever, I'm lazy, you know, I have all the stuff I need to do, I find a woman only, no, they don't get any less. But in any case, you know, going back to the topic at hand, the, um, you know, the, the, the Torah says that if somebody is a prophet and he has arrogance, the prophecy is taken away from him. If somebody has wisdom, is wise, and he's arrogant, the, the, the wisdom gets to, that's uh, take, taken away from him. The, the, you know, I can't, I can't emphasize how important humility is. And, you know, it, it, it's really late. I would really would, would, would speak a little bit more about it. But because of the, the late hour, it's, it's, you know, you really have to understand the concept of how important humility is. We see over here Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was able to reach the highest of the highest. And it was due to the fact of his humility. It was due to the fact of his self-nullification. We also said before, the idea of praying is self-nullification. The idea of communicating with God is self-nullification. We said Moshe was able to communicate God because of his self-nullification. Because of his bitul. Because of his humility. The humility is so is so important. We see the importance of, uh, in, even furthermore, let's just do a quick recap before we, we wrap this up. Moshe Rabbeinu, why is this so important? It's so important to realize why Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy is, so, is, is, is put into the 13 principles of faith because the Torah does not, get ex- does not change. Everything stays exactly the same always in the Torah because you cannot, refute a, um, you cannot refute a prophecy of something that you witnessed yourself. Also furthermore, the idea of Moshe Rabbeinu, the idea of the, of the way that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to interact with the Torah and with God had to be to a level of self-nullification. It had to be a level of bitul that Moshe Rabbeinu was, everything was able to go directly through Moshe Rabbeinu and with no change whatsoever. As opposed to the other prophets that they had a little bit of a different perception that they were able to change it. Nonetheless, they were still able to do it in a very true and clear fashion. Uh, and now, just to, just to wrap up the idea of humility. Humility is so important in everything in life. In your spiritual importance, in your physical importance. You know, the, 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 the Torah says that if somebody is humble, God listens to your prayers. So it's very, very important that God should, you know, you want, you want God to listen to your prayers. You want, humility is the answer to so many things. It's something that you have to constantly, constantly work on. You know, I did, I did have a lot more to speak about it, but Bizarre Sam will speak about it when we speak about uh, humility. Any questions? Yeah, yeah let's go. We'll go this way and then we'll go around. Yeah. Moshe did plagues, but then Elisha and Eliel brings them back from the dead. Isn't that pretty like... You have many... So the question is, is that Moshe didn't... Moshe brought anybody back from the dead. So the question is, you had, you had people that brought people back from the dead. You had also people in the Tanaim and they were able to bring people back in the dead. The bring, bring people back in the dead, yes, it's a great a miracle. That's one of like the three keys on it. Shem has, like, 
Oh, you're talking about the three keys of a panasa, yeah, of childbirth. Yeah, but and like, it's not like, that's like a big deal if like you're able to get one of those things, like to control the rain or the childbirth or the... You're right. It's a, it is a huge thing. Um, it is a huge thing. But um, again, it's not. We're not showing like, oh, look how great Moshe Rabbeinu. It wasn't like a look at who's greater type of situation. So Moshe Rabbeinu, if he didn't need to bring anybody back from the dead, there was no need to bring back anybody dead. The only miracles that he did was because he needed to bring them back. You know, he had to do those miracles. It wasn't to prove anything. So it didn't matter who else did something that may or may not appear to be greater or not. And I could go and say that maybe not. Maybe it wasn't that. How do you know the person was? You know, like there's many many interpret. We could go out and. You know, in a, in a long rabbit hole, to saying what's greater than that. You know, than, than bringing back the dead. But the point was, it's it's irrelevant because the miracles happen not because of this, not because of to prove anything. The miracles happen only because it needed to happen because they were hungry or they were thirsty or they needed to drown the Egyptians or they needed to get out of Egypt, whatever it was. They did according to what they needed to do. Exactly. All right. Also, um, you're saying that all of the like the Nevi'im would get um, prophecy in the Mashal, but or like in a metaphor of some sort, but. In Navi, it'll say like, and Hashem said to Shmuel, or like, I do this. So said Hashem, like, very like word for word. The like, way that so so the way that it works with prophecy it, for the for the majority of prophets is that they gave it in a sort of a metaphor or an allegory, but the the metaphor was immediately explained to them. So even though so you, it, it came to a point where it was crystal clear. Just like God said this and this and this. But it came in a different level. Like Moshe Rabbeinu was on a higher level than that. But even though it came with a metaphor, it came with a metaphor. It's like saying, here's the puzzle and here's the answer. And that's it. You know, like, so... so they're just, they didn't get the answer. The, uh, when you're going to the level of prophecy and Wacha Kodesh and level of Ksuvim, it's a different, it's a different, yeah, it's a different level of, obviously it was, a, yeah, it was a different level of, it was a different level of prophecy. But when you're dealing with prophecy, direct communication from God, when you're dealing it from your perspective, it's irrelevant. It's like, it makes no, it's like, it's not going to make that much of a difference. What the, the, what's the important part of it is, is that the 613 commandments, they're all located in the five books of Moses, in the Hamishay Hamishay It's all located over there. That is no perception involved. That is directly God, word for word, exactly what God said. Like, it's important to realize that everything that comes under that, it's all 100% clear and, and crystal, exactly like God said, that, you know, so on and so on, and, you know, whatever it is that you mentioned before. But the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, the, it is important to realize that everything, it was based on no, it went through, through no interface, a non-interactive interface, directly through the, to, to the Jewish people. Okay, question? Someone asked, um, can you, uh, how a person can work on humility and not being arrogant? Okay, so that's an excellent question. How could a person work on humility and, um, and, and not be arrogant. Excellent, excellent question. Next question, please. Okay. Uh, so it, it's a whole, to be honest, it's a whole class in itself. How, I should, I should. I, I do, one of my plans, Bezrat Hashem, Blinetto, you know, you know, everything in Bezrat Hashem. That's it. I want to give a series on character traits. I want to give a series on character traits. So, but how do you work on humility? First of all, is you learn the Musafim that there's no simple way, like, just like, it's because people misunderstand humility with, um, with getting stepped on. It's a very, very big, I think I gave a class, when I gave a class on my, self, on my self-esteem classes, I think I, I explained them the difference between self-esteem and humility, which is very, very important. So if somebody wants, they could go in and look into that particular class. I think it's maybe the third class in that series. It was maybe a year or two ago that I spoke about it. Where, the, where we about on Torah Anytime? Yeah, you can find it on Torah Anytime. So, TorahAnytime.com. 
Okay. So, uh, the, but if you really want to work in it, it's, it's not something that you could just say, okay, listen, I'll accept everything. You have to really pick up one of these musasvarim, and you have to open up these, you know, these musasvarim. You have plenty of musasvarim that you're able to go on. Almost every, almost every single musasvarim speaks about humility. That's how important it is. So you open up the majority of the most popular musasvarim. You go and you open up, you look at humility, and you start reading upon it, upon it. You go the opposite of arrogance. You go and you read about, about the humility. It really is going to start, you know, explaining to you of how you supposed to how how you're really supposed to go on a, and and work on humility it's not something that i can answer just like this accept everything it's not it's a, it's a long it's a long it's, it's probably be a series of classes in itself just to understand humility so uh the easiest and the shortest answer i could say is to go and um and to pick up one of these these musas volume and 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 start studying them and realizing they have their have gates of humility and how to reach humility and how to work on humility and realize that everything is from god if you're getting angry you're not humble. If you're, you know, getting upset, you're also not humble. Again, it's a different level. Upset and anger, it's a lower level. If you, you know, if, if, uh, if, if you go and you take things personally, then you don't have, you know, the, again, obviously, there's a lot to speak about that in, just in itself, but also it's a level of humility. If you're, you know, if, if you're, if you're going in, in a, and you're getting a lot of kabod, let's say you're very high, you know, in your office and thumb, and it gets to your head, you're obviously not humble. You know, th- there's many, many different, you know, factions. The most important that I feel like this comes into play is, is really is in, in, uh, in relationships. In relationships, this comes so much. If you get upset at your spouse for things that when you think about it, be like, hey, this is kind of silly. Then you're arrogant. Then you're not. You're not humble. It, like it really. It really comes in. Like people don't realize how much humility goes and how much humility is able to go and fix your life. It, it's crazy how much it how much it affects your life. Um, but the, yeah, I apologize. It's just another whole class in itself that I would have to give just to explain about humility. But the easiest thing is to go and, and buy one of these Buy one of these If you don't know it, email me. I'll send you links on what to buy and what to read. Next question. Okay, so the now the question is regarding the analogy of Moshe Rabbeinu and from outer space. So the, the there was a story that was written about Moshe Rabbeinu, and then the story that was written about Moshe Rabbeinu was that Moshe Rabbeinu came from a very very low place. He came from a very corrupt character trait, and he worked on himself to get to such a high place. Meaning that their intent was by saying the story, according to Rabbi Shem Shemping, the way they explain it is that they wanted to show how great Moshe Rabbeinu was. That he worked from so low, he reached so high. You ever had these people that say like? You know, I had no money, and now I'm a multi-billionaire. You know, I didn't have enough money for a slice of cake. And now I'm a multi-billionaire. So, like, you know, what is that showing? It's showing that I came from nothing and it went all the way. So that it shows, like, wow, you worked really hard. It's a very big difference when someone has no money for coffee and they became a multi-billionaire for somebody that his grandfather or father gave him $14 billion, and now he has $15 billion, you know, after 100 years. You know, it's like, because I could both. You know, like, so it's trying to show, look how great Moshe Rabbeinu was walking from so low to so high. So it explains Rav Shem that doesn't show you how high it was because it's just like going and saying to somebody that, hey, you know how we got to the moon? We went from a high platform. It doesn't matter. The moon is so far away that high platform or no high platform, it's, it, you know, it's irrelevant the distance that you have to travel to get to the moon. Same thing with Moshe Rabbeinu. He had to travel from, to such a high level that it doesn't make a difference. He started at a low level or he started at a high level. He had to travel so, hard, so far that it didn't make a difference. You think you're making him sound greater. It doesn't make a difference because he had to travel so much. But the truth of the matter is, if you look at the Torah, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu started as a high level. So that is his analogy. Does it make more sense? No, then it doesn't matter that you say that he came from such a low level. Because he reached such a high level, like getting to the moon, that it doesn't matter where you started from, like he worked so hard. Yeah, he started from a higher level. He started the, from that. Um, the shame, uh, I'm sorry, the Rabshim Shabbat, because this is his explanation of it. 
just the opposite. They they think that it's taking away, but it doesn't matter if somebody's traveling to space if he's going from a zero foot platform or a hundred foot platform. They're like, oh, two spaceships go to space, and they say, of course you got the space, you know, you know, because you have a hundred foot platform, I have a zero foot platform. Like that doesn't make a difference. The zero and the hundred makes a difference. Let's say somebody starts at a hundred foot platform spaceship, and another one starts from a negative hundred foot platform. Does it make a difference that they reach the space? That they reach the moon? No, it doesn't make a difference. The, the I mean, obviously it makes a difference. It does from our perspective. But in reality, when we look at it to the level that he reached, it's insignificant. Like it doesn't matter. And the truth of the matter is that it's irrelevant because the Torah says that he was on a high level. And we don't need a story. We don't need exactly. Yeah. We had another question. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.